I'm pretty excited. I got my uh, trip set for less than a month from today. I'll be down in Las Vegas for the baseball winter meetings. I'll do a couple shows there. We'll probably have a couple surprise guests. Uh, we'll do little clips pretty much on Periscope. We'll share throughout other forms of social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. It'll be on my website, JohnPielli.com, the whole thing. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of different issues today. Um, I do want to get into some college football because I do think it's important to talk a little bit about the format. And really my point about no matter what type of setup you have, there's always going to be somebody on the outside looking in. And we live in a world where it seems like we want to include and give the opportunity to win an entire championship to many more teams than actually deserve it. And I'm going to tease that now and I'll get into a little more explicitly exactly what I'm trying to get to in a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about cell phones today when we get off the whole uh, sports topic. And we'll get into the Nobody's Listening segment. We'll talk about cell phones. I do got NFL picks, which we'll put up today. But we're going to start out today by talking about redemption, which there always exists an opportunity to have. I think you, no matter what it is that you do, if you heard me a couple weeks ago talking about Ray Carruth being involved in plotting the murder of his girlfriend, he's responsible for somebody being dead. His, you know, it's not his negligence, it was his choice, and he had to serve time in prison for it. But he served his time, he is out now, and has the opportunity, if he wants to use it in the right way, or use his forum in the proper manner, he has a chance to serve a better purpose. And obviously, if you are involved in radio... There are a couple people that you probably listen to to kind of pick their brains a little bit, learn a couple lessons here and there, both positively and negatively over. You hear about the story of Craig Carton being convicted and likely having to serve some time in prison for the crimes that he committed by defrauding people out of money in a ticket scam. And I've heard a lot of talk about the issues involved with gambling and the addictions to gambling and how it should be treated like a drug addiction, mental health. And we always get into that when it comes to mass shootings and stuff like that. So <clears throat> while yes, gambling is an addiction and oh, over time, you'd like to see people be able to reach out and be there for somebody who is a compulsive gambler, or even taking it to the next level, a degenerate gambler or an ignorant gambler, a gambler that is willing to go through any sort of way to find money that they can bet with the hopes that they're going to turn their fortunes, which have not been very good. Any degenerate gambler is likely to not be doing a good job. They're likely to not be in a positive when it comes to the bets that they're putting out there. They're putting out more money and they're losing more money and they get this impulse thought of having to find some way to make up for all their losses. And I get it. And it you, know, you can relate it to somebody that has a drug addiction, somebody that is caught up in drugs. They have such a thought in their, in their mind, but most importantly, intuitionally in their body where they crave the need 
to get these drugs in their system. And if they don't have these drugs in their system, they're going to go to all leaps and bounds to try to find a way to do it. If they don't have money, they'll probably sell themselves in regards to sex. They will give up any property to get their hands on said drugs. And I do believe the same thing applies to a compulsive and eventually degenerate gambler. But there is another side of this story that is not being told too much. And I hope Craig, as he's sitting in prison for probably at least a couple of years, can understand the significance of what he did. While I hope he gets the help that he needs in regards to keeping himself away from gambling and better able to manage his finances and get his life back on track once he's done serving his time, it needs to be put out there a little more of what he did. Because what he is going to jail for is not the equivalent of a slap in the wrist. He did not commit a minor driving offense. He defrauded many, many people out of millions of dollars with the understanding that that money was going to be used to pay for concert, concert tickets in the future. So people... You know, I'm, I'm imagining, you know, the 30-something-year-old mother of, you know, two, a boy and a girl, five and seven years old, that can't wait to go see Britney Spears. And her birthdays are coming up, and the mother wants to go out there and do something really nice for them. So she buys a, a couple, you know, $100, $150, $200 tickets to a Britney Spears show. Now, if that mother knew better... That mother would go to StubHub or SeatGeek if they weren't going to buy the tickets directly. But they look through ticket brokers and Craig Carton looks like he is legitimately an intermediary between the ticket seller and the person that's actually trying to buy the tickets. So that person's defrauded out of money. And if it happened a couple times... If we're talking about maybe $1,000, maybe three or four or five people were defrauded and convinced that they were buying concert tickets, it's something that you could get by and say, hey, you know, he made a mistake, let him get over it. But when it comes out to millions and millions of dollars, you know how many times that had to happen over and over again? And you know how many people that impacted that you just took their money? Like it was part of your GoFundMe page to pay for your gambling debts? Listen, I got no issue with Craig Carton, a radio show host. And I'm 100% confident that when he is all set, he's going to get a job in a heartbeat. You know, many networks would be stupid if they wouldn't hire Craig Carton right off the street to add to ratings to their, to their network. But what he did has to be thrown out there. Now, with it, there is redemption, and I do believe that, and I think of Anchorman, and I think of the story of Ron Burgundy, played, of course, by Will Ferrell, a guy who obviously fell from grace, but of course, in a fictitious form, but the understanding is that this can happen in real life, and you've seen through the history of radio, and through the history of sports, many prolific figures have gotten themselves in trouble, whether it's with the law, whether it's stupid mistakes, whether it's decisions that they made that they kind of wish they didn't make. But I'm Veronica Corningstone. And I'm Ron Burgundy. Go f*** yourself, San Diego.
they can't avoid it because it's already happened and it's in the past. The only thing you can tr- control is something that's in the past is what you do about it in the future. And that's what re- when redemption comes in. And if you think of Ron Burgundy showing up, obviously, in a fluke situation to tell that Birth of the Panda story, you could see the same thing happening with Craig Carton down the road. Today we spell redemption. R-O. All Craig Carton has to do is serve his time. He could come back, maybe tell stories about it, maybe admit a little more about the seriousness of what he did and how he impacted, you know, probably thousands and thousands of people and defrauded them out of money, convincing them that they were buying tickets for concerts when they were really just trying to pay back money for his gambling debts. And think about it. If he was a little more honest about that, hey, I got a big gambling debt. You know, maybe I could open up a GoFundMe page and you could help me get back on my feet. I'm sure a couple people would have thrown him a couple bucks here and there at a charity. But what he did not only was against the law, because I think people can, over the course of time, do things that are against the law and have more of an opportunity to redeem themselves. You know, as God says, we are all sinners. Every single one of us. And we make mistakes and we do things that we shouldn't do. And we ask for forgiveness and we try to use those bad experiences or the experiences when we were not 100% with the up and up of trying to do what is right and learn from those experiences and move on and do things positive about it. And like I said, a couple weeks ago, I talked about Ray Carruth and not saying he's going to do this. But I said it's a good opportunity for him coming back out in the real world after serving 18 years in prison for the murder of his girlfriend. You're an idiot. You're a, you, uh, you're a bad person. Like all the way through to your core. He's got a chance to speak to 18 to 25 year old kids if he wants to. And maybe prevent that next person that's going to go through a tough relationship, whether it's an estrangement of a longtime girlfriend or having to split up from a girlfriend or a wife that you had a child with that's going to cost you a lot financially. Here's a person that has firsthand knowledge and firsthand experience of what it was like to go through a situation like that and the example of what happens when you made the absolute wrong decision. Craig Carton has a chance to do the same thing. If he wants to use his forum and his intellect and his intelligence, which he clearly has, and his gift for gab, to speak out to people that have issues when it comes to gambling, to speak out to people that may have spent money that they shouldn't be spending on gambling, those who thought that they were putting all their money down on what they considered a sure thing, and all of a sudden, Watch that money vanish and then couldn't pay their rent, couldn't pay for their family, could not put food on their table anymore because thousands and thousands of people are going through that every single day. As we look at the positives in sports betting being legalized in the state of New Jersey, and there are some, Uh, I, as a gambler, a person that puts money down every single week betting on whether it's football teams, whether it's golf, 
whether it's college football, I'm putting my hard-earned money down on the table with the hope that I could come out ahead. But at some point, you have to understand that there's money to play with and there's money that you should not touch. And if there's a person that could go out there on the forum of the public and get the ears of everybody that is involved in gambling, whether people are doing well with it, whether people are handling it safely, whether people are doing it in a degenerate type of form, he has a chance to reach out to those people. He has a chance to perhaps make a difference when it comes to the lives of people that are impacted on something that is very serious when it comes to gambling. And like I said, when it comes to Craig Carton, it's twofold. He's going to have to deal with the crime that he committed. And the crime that he committed is separate from the addiction that he has. Yes, one had something to do with the other. Yes, the issue that he had, the amount of money that he fell behind because of his degenerate gambling debt, forced him to commit a crime. And you understand there may be people out there that aren't criminals, but if they are pushed to a limit, could potentially commit a crime. And I don't think Craig Carton, when he started to bet heavily on sports, had the intention of saying, hey, I'm going to, down the road, I'm going to try to defraud thousands and thousands of people out of their hard-earned money. He boxed himself into a corner and he made a bad decision. When it comes to redemption, he has the chance to reach out to those people and do something about it. And I hope he does. Similarly to the way, and I know you can't compare one to the other. I can't compare stealing money to murder. But if a murderer could use their bad experience, an experience that they serve their time for, and one in which they are remorseful and sorrowful and feel terrible about, to keep that next person from doing the same thing, to try to relate to that other kid. And that kid that's 18 to 25, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, but is going through a rough relationship. They're going to be estranged or they are estranged from their girlfriend or their wife. And they may or may not have children. They may or may not be financially liable for them after the separation. If there's a person that can get through to that person and convince them that there are positive alternatives as opposed to the worst alternative that he decided to do, he had to pay the price for, and he totally ruined whatever possibility he had of being a professional football player because of it. He can be a lesson to kids. Aaron Hernandez can't be a lesson to kids because he was serving a life sentence. He is now deceased. But his story coming out, and which is going to be put into a documentary, and I wouldn't be surprised if down the road it became a movie. The life that he lived, whether it was at the University of Florida, whether it was throughout his NFL career with the New England Patriots, before he went to Florida, the death of his father, People are able to learn lessons through things that happen to other people. And I hate to keep throwing Ray Carruth's name out there. And I'm not saying this is a good person. I'm not saying this is automatically going to be a good person. But he's got the opportunity. Not to turn his life around, but to potentially save that next jerk from deciding just because their wife or their girlfriend don't want to be with them anymore. 
and they're probably going to have to pay money and alimony and child support, that there's no reason to kill. And Craig Carton has got a chance when he comes out of prison to make a difference in somebody's life that has that is a degenerate gambler. May not necessarily have the ability to get out of the life of being a degenerate gambler, but can understand what is the worst that could happen. You could go out there and defraud people out of millions of dollars, embarrass yourself, and have to go to prison. Me? I know who I am. I'm a dude a dude disguised as another dude. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. Next thing I wanted to touch up on, you got the dispute that's involved when it comes to college football. And you kind of knew it was going to get to this at some point once the league decided to expand to the the BCS format and went from that to the college football playoffs where four teams are guaranteed a shot at winning the championship every year. And I think it's very quick that we forget about a sport that prospered for the better part of the last 90 to 100 years. And before the days of the NFL, where we looked at the NFL and the AFL and they merged and all of a sudden we had Super Bowl three, which became the first calculated and recorded Super Bowl and a sport going out to this level where it's taken over by gamblers, but also is absorbed by the general public in Sundays in the fall to winter months are all about football, but on a professional level, college football reigned supreme. And it reigned supreme for many, many years in the form that it was in. Games would be played every Saturday, and in some cases, different days of the week. And at the end of the year, there was one crowned national champion that in some cases was the team that just happened to finish with the best record. But if there was a dispute between a couple different teams, it was up to the voters, the people that were putting up the polls, ranking the teams from one through 25 that determined who the national champion was. A couple times there would be a tie. A couple times you'd have undefeated teams that unfortunately didn't match up against each other that were both named co-champions. And then as they went through the bowl format, you tried to set up one of the major bowls to feature the two best teams in the country playing each other for a chance to be supreme, to be the national champion. And now all of a sudden we decided we needed to expand it to four teams. Four teams playing two games and the winners of those two games meeting a couple weeks later for the national championship. Now it seems like a better opportunity Four teams, as opposed to just two, as opposed to for years and years was just one. And you've seen it happen in other sports. You had the old AFL and NFL champions meeting in a Super Bowl. Now you have six teams in each conference playing through a series of rounds to get to the Super Bowl. Major League Baseball prior to 1969. The American League champion played the National League champion. The team with the best record 
got to go and play for the championship. If you had the second best record, if you had the third best record, it didn't matter. Now we're rewarding teams that are finishing in second place. We're rewarding teams that are finishing in third or fourth place. It doesn't matter if you win the most games in your respective league. It doesn't matter if you are the best team and proved it over the course of the regular season. In fact, Major League Baseball this year, the Boston Red Sox won 108 games more than any other team in baseball. If it was prior to 1969, they would automatically have the opportunity to go to the World Series. They had to play one round, two rounds, just to get to the World Series. You got teams with 85 and 86 wins, not 108, having that same opportunity, maybe not being on the same playing field, maybe having to play an extra game or two, but still having a chance when a regular season is over to win the entire thing. And I don't know if that's necessarily productive. I don't know if that is a good thing to sell. In the day and age that we live in right now, 2018, they give out participation trophies. They reward people for mediocrity. And it's happening on the professional sports level. And as fans, we seem to absorb it. Either we're gambling on it, either we're embracing it and not really paying attention to the fact that it's going on. But the bottom line is we're rewarding mediocrity even at the professional level in sports. And if you think of college football, I know it's an amateur sport, but it's probably up on the level of any professional sports. A national champion of college football is a big deal. And we went from just rewarding the best team to having the two best teams play each other to now having the four best teams with the opportunity to reign supreme and get to the top. And now the thought of an even more expanded playoff format that we could see potentially six teams, we could see potentially eight teams. All of a sudden, it becomes, you know, the NFL or MLB or the NBA or the NHL. We're rewarding 10 to 12 to 16 teams each year, some of whom are mediocre. And as a sports fan, I don't want to see mediocrity in a playoff format. If you're 500, if you barely got through, I don't think you should have the opportunity to win a championship. So how does this apply to college football right now? Alabama, undefeated. They're going to have to play their conference championship game at the SEC against Georgia. And if they happen to lose that game, there are people that think that Alabama, who has proven themselves to be the best team in college football, could possibly be on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoff format. And that is basically going 180 degrees in the other direction of the way the sport was intended to be. In the end, you want the best team to have the opportunity to win. But the thing that benefits teams in college football, if you happen to lose in the first week or the second week and you win your last eight games or win your last nine games, you have that undefeated team as they get ready to play in, let's say, a championship type of game and they happen to lose that game. That team that lost in the month of October or November, that loss is forgotten about. The one that happened in late November or December is remembered, even though you're talking about two teams that have the exact same amount of losses. So what do I suggest to do for college football? Unfortunately, we're not going to scale it back. 
And you realize when it comes to athletes that are either amateurs or professionals and multi-billion dollar businesses, which every single one of these sports are, they're ringing in money. And as soon as they expand any sort of playoff format to include more teams, they open up avenues where they're going to generate revenue. So they're not going to scale back. They're not going to go from four teams to two or one. And I just hope that the league doesn't decide to reward more mediocrity, which is what you're going to be doing every single time you expand the playoff format to include more teams. You could talk about a 10-game season. You could talk about a 40-game season, an 80-game season, a 162-game season. And the more teams you give an opportunity to play postseason ball in, means that you're paying more attention to mediocrity and you're giving teams that are average and ordinary, and in some cases not very good, an opportunity to reign supreme and be champions. And when it comes to sports, sports should be about rewarding the best of the best. You know, the 1972 Dolphins, an undefeated team in the National Football League. The New England Patriots, who lost the Super Bowl after going... 16 and 0 on a regular season and you know have any opportunity to be the first team to go 19 and 0. Those were great teams. But if you look at you look at the Patriots that year they lost to a Giants team that yeah was playing their best football at the best time. But also you could question if you went to the old format when it came to pro, you know professional football They may not have been a team that had earned the playoff spot. They may not have earned the opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. Yes, in the confines of the rules of the National Football League at that time, they earned the opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. They qualified for the playoffs. They won their games. They got themselves in the Super Bowl and happened to win it. But if you went back 30, 40 years, when you're just rewarding the champion of the respective league, the Giants may not have qualified. The Minnesota Twins of 1987 won the World Series. And the reason I bring that up, they had the fifth most wins in the American League. Four teams in the American League East, including the Detroit Tigers, who they beat in the American League Championship Series. I believe the others were the Toronto Blue Jays, the Milwaukee Brewers, and I think the other one was the Yankees. They all won more games than the Minnesota Twins. Now, the Minnesota Twins Won the most games in their own division, so that's why they qualified for the playoffs. They beat the Tigers, they beat the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series, and were considered World Series champions. Now, nobody's going to ever try to take that away from them, but it was a mediocre team that had the fifth most wins out of 14 teams in the American League. In that case, Major League Baseball was rewarding mediocrity. And football has done it years upon years. How many Super Bowl champions do we look back on and say, I can't believe they even made it to the Super Bowl. Or how many teams make it to the Super Bowl and get embarrassed, and you're like, well, listen, they had no business being in the Super Bowl anyway. Ideally, I'd like to see the best teams in each respective sport rewarded for what they do. The teams that dominate, the teams that have the best record, should have more of a free path to be able to win a championship. I understand being a regular season champion is different than being the champion of the sport by winning the postseason. And it has to be earned. Unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder for the best team in each respective sport to become champions. Because the amount of mediocrity 
that is being appreciated, the amount of participation trophies that are being handed out there are making it easier for a team that didn't earn itself in a regular season to have a chance to win the entire thing. And I'll tell you, that bothers me. Next thing I wanted to get into, we'll talk about um, cell phones in a little bit. We'll start our NFL picks, which I'll try to be real quick with. Give myself a tiny pat on the back in what's been a terrible season. A degenerate gambler, which I can't say that I'm at yet, but I'm losing. Okay, well, maybe we should tell that to Rayman because he practically bankrupt a casino and he was a retard. I haven't had a good season when it comes to my pro football picks every week. Finally had a winning week. Came out a net positive for the first time since week one. So we'll throw out there week 10 NFL picks. First game we're going to start out with today, Sunday. You got the Washington Redskins traveling to Tampa Bay against the Buccaneers. Redskins coming off of a disappointing performance against the Atlanta Falcons. The Tampa Bay Bucks a little bit up, a little bit down. Ryan Fitzpatrick back under center. I can see the Redskins bouncing back, and I like the fact that they're given three points. So I'll start out game number one, Washington plus three at Tampa Bay. Next, next game, I'm going to build off of something that I saw last week. A pretty good performance by the Tennessee Titans at Dallas. Sets themselves up for a, a pretty good matchup against the team that you're going to have to get through if you want to get to the Super Bowl in the American Football Conference. And that, of course, is the New England Patriots. The Patriots are flying high. The Patriots are on pace to get themselves a first-round bye, obviously, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, it looks like a pretty good matchup. Chiefs, Pats, obviously the conference is going to have to go through them. But Titans are playing at home, and they're laying six. They're getting six and a half points. I could see this game being close. I could see the Patriots having a little bit of a letdown here. And a game, let's be honest, probably doesn't matter very much to New England. New England knows what they're going to be. They know they're going to win the AFC East. I know their coach, Bill Belichick, is going to motivate them and try to get everything they possibly can out of them. But it's an individual game that, in the grand scheme of things, is not going to matter when it comes to their postseason positioning. Now, I'm not saying they're going to play reserves. I'm not going to say they're going to sit people out. But I could see the Tennessee Titans getting a little bit of momentum, playing at home, trying to get their season back on track, and maybe getting out to a nice 10-0 lead or a 14-0 lead, and have the Patriots come back on them, and maybe they catch them, maybe they don't. But I see this being a three-point or less game either way. That's why I like the line, and I'm taking Tennessee plus 6.5 at home against New England. Game number three. This is a game that I think... If you're a better, if you bet on the sport of pro football, you want to be a little bit concerned because I think it's easy to get kind of sucked into it, thinking of what has happened with the Buffalo Bills, thinking about the New York Jets and Sam Darnold coming off of his worst week as an NFL quarterback and then getting hurt, the veteran and Sam Darnold's mentor, Josh McCown, under center chance to lead the offense, almost a chance to tell Sam Darnold, hey, this is the way you run our offense, going up against the Buffalo Bills team that is probably considered one of the worst in the entire sport. 
And of course, Nathan Peterman may very well be one of the worst, if not the worst quarterback in the entire history of the National Football League. And it's easy to get sucked into this. I look at the line, the Jets getting seven, I'm sorry, giving seven at home. Obviously, if Peterman starts, you find out Saturday or Sunday morning, I'm saying, hey, I'm glad I put my money on the Jets. I could see the Jets covering this game easily. But most importantly, the main reason why I am picking the Jets here is this is a game that they have to point to on their calendar and say, if they're going to make anything out of their season, and I'm not saying they're going to the playoffs. I'm not saying they're going to all of a sudden turn into a juggernaut that this team who is rebuilding is all of a sudden going to hit the advanced phase of their rebuild and become a supreme team anytime soon. It's certainly not happening. It's certainly not happening until at least the offseason when they have all their money coming off of, of the salary cap and the amount of money to spend in free agency and to the ability to make tweaks to this team that certainly need to be made. But I think this is a game that the Jets probably feel like they have to win. They're going to game plan it as if this is a game that they expect to win. Now, would it shock me if they ended up losing? Yeah. But I tell you, the coach would pretty much be sealing his own fate if they end up losing this game. Give me the Jets minus seven at home against the Buffalo Bills. Game number four. Um, going towards a little bit of the upset route here. You got an Atlanta Falcons team who's been playing very good football. And think about it, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the NFC, you got the Rams, you got the Saints, you got even the Carolina Panthers. And I think people are starting to sleep a little bit on the Atlanta Falcons, who week in and week out continue to be playing better and better football. Over the course of their coming back, there's going to be a drop and a disappointment here and there. I can see the Falcons getting themselves into the playoffs, maybe competing for one of the last two spots and becoming a wild card team. They're going to have their work cut out for them. New Orleans is on pace to win the division. Carolina is right there behind them. You're looking at two teams that are almost guaranteed to be going to the playoffs. I know the Panthers suffered a tough loss on Monday Night Football against the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. Falcons, I think, need this game. But I look at the carefreeness of the Cleveland Browns. And I think of their quarterback, Baker Mayfield. And the opportunity to build on your popularity. The fans are starting to gravitate around Mayfield. Hugh Jackson and his 1-31 record over two years is gone. Todd Haley, whatever dysfunction he was causing, are gone. Greg Williams, who I don't necessarily think is a good guy, but I think is a good coach to be in a spot like this where you have absolutely nothing to lose. Give me Cleveland, plus six at home against Atlanta. And the last game I'll pick is the Monday night game. And once again, I'm taking a bait. And I think a lot of people are betting on this. And you should see this line start to go down a little bit as you get a little closer to Sunday. Um, you saw it a little bit higher, four, four and a half really early on or around the time that Sunday's games of last week just ended. It's three and a half now, or at least three and a half when I put my money down on it. And I got the New York Giants at San Francisco plus three and a half. 
Now, this may, may very well be the last opportunity that you as a Giants fan have to see Eli Manning as the starting quarterback. Certainly, if the Giants lose this game, I would expect more younger players to play. Perhaps Manning sitting next week just as a matter of principle. Now, I think the Giants could have an inspiring performance. They certainly have the weapons, OBJ and Barkley. And, you know, they're making tweaks to their offensive line. They still have a couple good defensive players. And they're playing a bad team in San Francisco. A San Francisco team that was given a little bit of a reprieve because they strengthened their quarterback position. They went out there and made the trade last year for Jimmy Garoppolo from New England. Now, Garoppolo, obviously, having the, going on the ACL list, which you see every year, just random NFL players being, you know, duped, bam, ACL, you're done. You're on the ACL list. Garoppolo not being able to help the San Francisco 49ers is a big deal. Their backup quarterback, C.J. Beathard, is hurt. Nick Mullins, last week, was playing Oakland. And all you got to say is he was playing Oakland. He might as well have been playing Jackson High School. He might as well have been playing, I don't know, Arkansas Pine Bluff. The Oakland Raiders are not a National Football League team at this point. I can't build off of a win against the Oakland Raiders. And pretty similar when I'm doing my picks. That's why I can't take the Los Angeles Chargers against the Raiders. I can't even bet against the Raiders. Because I don't think I'm betting on an actual National Football League game. And I look at what could happen this week. And I think from the Giants fans' perspective, you may be watching something interesting because I think it may be the last opportunity to see Eli Manning if somehow San Francisco ends up winning. If the Giants have another lackluster performance on offense, the coach and the organization and the ownership owes it to itself to want to see what Kyle Laletta could do. Whether he's running over police officers or not, they owe it to themselves to see what this guy could do on the football field. So I think this is going to be a kind of a last hurrah kind of thing. I would expect to see the best out of the Giants offense. And I think the San Francisco offense, I can't expect them to do a whole lot. So give me the Giants plus three and a half at San Francisco. Quick recaps of the picks, which they're up on JohnPielli.com. You can check them out if you're not sure about it. You want to add any of your opinion. You know, you could comment on the Facebook Live or Periscope feed. Give me a call, 732-364-3598. Email me at jrple at gmail.com. Or there's a con- contact form on my website, johnpielli.com. You'll submit your email, go right to me, and then, uh, you know, I'll get back to you pretty promptly. So uh, Washington plus three at Tampa Bay. Tennessee plus six and a half at home against New England. The Jets minus seven at home against Buffalo. Cleveland plus six at home against Atlanta. And the Giants plus three and a half at San Francisco on Monday night. So as we swing in to the Nobody's Listening segment, we're probably a good 40 minutes into the show. Usually a time where anybody who is tuned in from the beginning is likely to tune out. So if you happen to tune in now, you you're listening to me talk about something that is not in relationship to the world of sports. So if you wanted to have some sports content, I apologize. I'll do a little recap of what I talked about today in about five, ten minutes or so. I can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. 
Nobody's Listening is about bringing attention to some obvious issues that go on in the world and the country that we live in. Some of them are things that we take for granted. And the goal is to bring all of us together and just be a little more cognizant of each other, but also more cognizant of the way we could be as a generational type of person in comparison to a person who is in a different generation, maybe a couple generations older than you. And that brings me in to cell phones. They're jammed down our neck. They're thrown in our face. It is assumed that everybody walks around with one and carries one on and is staring right into it at every second of every time. Many of us do that. Many of us can't get seen not on our cell phones. And if you go back to 20 years ago or 30 years ago or certainly 40 or 50 years ago, there were people that lived pretty good lives by not having a mobile device in their hand at all times. Now I understand for certain kids and certain young adults, they may not think it was even a possibility. They can't imagine using a payphone. They can't imagine not being able to talk to their best friend for three or four days because you know they, they were out or they weren't around. You could be miles away and in some cases hundreds and thousands of miles away from somebody and still be able to be in contact with them. I don't have an issue with the use of cell phones, but that assumption that we all have that the person that we want to talk to is sitting there on the other side staring at their phone waiting for your call or your text. It's something that really bothers me. And I, the only real reason that I use my mobile device is for the internet. I have my notifications on light. So I'm not one of those people that says, hey, look at me. Here's my ringtone. Every time somebody texts me, I hear a stupid sound to try to draw attention for myself because I'm a narcissistic prick. That's not me. I may be a narcissistic prick, but it may be in a, in a different form is the way that it comes out. But when people use their, their power of their mobile device as their way to try to draw attention to themselves, I'm not a big fan of that. But I'm also not a fan of the assumption that everybody that you want to talk to is going to be sitting here waiting for your call because they're just like you. They can't wait to scroll through Facebook and Twitter and are just staring at their phone waiting for to get a notification so they can look at the people around them and say, hey, hey, look at me. People like me. It's amazing that years went by where nobody needed any of this crap. Years went by where you had friends that were in your neighborhood. Yes, you had some long-distance friends that you'd be lucky enough to see every once in a while. And you know what? That time that was spent away from them made it more that memorable when you got a chance to see them. We all have family that lived, you know, in the 80s and the 90s and, you know, generations before that far away. And we think about that one or two times a year, we get a chance to go see them, not just to catch up, but just to be in their presence and enjoy that time. A lot of that's taken away. Because we feel like it's a good thing. We feel like social media and the fact that we can reach out to somebody via text 
is such a good thing. I don't know if it necessarily is. A little bit of a recap of the show today. Uh, we talked about Craig Carton made the comparisons to Ron Burgundy. To me, it's very twofold. His situation, obviously, very serious. He is going to jail for a crime that he committed. There is the thought when it comes to a degenerate gambler, how do you give that person help? How do you make sure that that person, if there's any way they could be saved, can be saved? Gambling addiction right along the lines is parallel to when it comes to drug addiction, you know, nicotine and alcohol addiction, all types of other addictions that are out there where people can't control what it is that they're doing. I get how it's a serious issue. Craig Carton has a chance when he comes out of prison to address that and maybe keep that next person that's got the issue when it comes to compulsive gambling and is along the lines to potentially be a degenerate gambler. It can make a difference in that person's life. But it doesn't hide from the fact that he stole millions of dollars for innocent people. And I'm not going to say what he did is on the level of what Bernie Madoff did. But it was a scam. It kept people from getting the results of what they should have for their money. And like I said, I feel bad for that, you know, mother and father that put together a couple bucks, you know, for several weeks to get their kids some concert tickets and use Craig Carton as your ticket broker, which, yes, it was a stupid decision, but it was used with the intention that that money was going to be able to go towards concert tickets. They were defrauded. And probably will never get that money back. Because how's Craig Carton paying back that money? He's using the money that he's stealing from you to pay his degenerate gambler debts. And like I said, Craig's ridiculously talented. He's going to get himself a job. He'll be back on his feet the second that he comes out of prison. Doesn't hide from what he did. He did a terrible thing. He stole millions of dollars from people that were trusting in him that they were getting concert tickets out of it. But once again, he's got a chance at redemption. He's got the gift for gab. He's got a ridiculous amount of talent. He's, he's made it in radio. He brings ratings. So he has a chance to redeem himself. We also spoke about today, the Alabama situation, how they may not have a chance to play for the national title if they lose their conference championship game against Georgia. It will be an absolute embarrassment. I don't think there's any way you can leave Alabama out. If you put them up against any other team on an individual matchup, they'd be favorited by double figures and points. And once again, we're talking about the softness of this country as it applies to sports. It applies to professional sports. It applies to college sports. We're trying to reward as many teams as possible for mediocrity. We're trying to give as many teams an opportunity to win the entire thing as opposed to just rewarding the best team in each respective league. NFL picks there on JohnPielli.com. Put down your cell phone and try to find some other use with your life. Don't rely on the damn thing. Because I am good at three things. Fighting, screwing, and talking baseball. Be back with you on Monday. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Hope everybody has a nice weekend. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.